Friday afternoon deploy uses TypeScript because duck typing's for the birds. Hey everybody, Tyrell here. This is a quick preamble to let you know this episode's a little different than our normal ones. We captured the uh, closing ceremony for one of our lab days. Most of the team wanted to spend some time doing HTMX, and so we thought it'd be really cool to capture the conversations that came through everybody spending time there. Not everybody got to do HTMX. Willow worked on a different platform as well, but uh, we're really excited with how uh, the team enjoyed HTMX and where we think it can go. So we wanted to share that with you. Hope you enjoy it. Mm. Is that an orange? Squishy ball. Uh, I'm trying to get my attendance back. Oh, that's right. And that new keyboard's not working out like you'd hoped, huh? No. I, I almost went the way of the ergo docs, but did not actually do it. I need, need, to, need you one of these. <laughs> Yeah, the evolu- I had an Evolute vertical mouse for a while, but I'm using a trackball now. Yeah, I went the way of the trackball as well. I liked my vertical mouse, but the problem I had with it, this one's ambidextrous. And so I mouse left-handed most of the time, but the vertical mouse I found when I used it a whole bunch uh, made my hand hurt after a while, so it's, I couldn't switch sides. This one, when my hand starts hurting, I can switch sides. Yeah, this one, I haven't experienced any pain like that before, but that was one thing... I was getting it bad in my elbow and stuff with the flat mouse, but that fixed it. But I, I don't even mouse that much. Spoken like a true Vim user. I tried using, do you guys remember there was a plugin called dead mouse that you could plug into like, I think it was in Firefox and other browsers, but basically it was like, I never have to use my mouse to use this modern browser. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's one of the perks, of the ergo docs. There's a whole layer that emulates mouse movements. So you. You can like still get the best of both worlds. Typically, one crazy genetic trash. Oh, that's right, because you need the concave aspect. Time. My fingers barely move to press the buttons, and the buttons have the keyboard has a piezo speaker in it. So the minute the buttons pressed, it beeps, and I know that I've pushed it enough to not bottom it out. Because bottom- does it screech if you bottom it out as well? Do what? Doesn't it screech if you bottom it out? Uh, no, that's when I. Caps lock. I don't know if you hear that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's caps lock that screeches, but no, it, if I bottom it out, it hurts real bad. That's I've, I've co-located enough with you to know those sounds for sure. So it's better than having somebody with like, was it Browns? Aren't those the loudest switches? These don't have the tactile bump in them either. These are reds. And so they're actually quite, they're actually pretty quiet, but with the Browns keeps at me, you get me. It's still loud. Browns are pretty quiet. That's what I'm using right now. Uh, That's what I've got too. I, I have a keyboard with blues over there. Those are obnoxious. <laughs> it's like typewriter noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I definitely I've worked it with at least one guy who got the loudest keys he could on purpose. <laughs> <laughs>
And then we started replacing keycaps with like fidget spinner keycaps and, and all kinds of stuff. It was a work of art slash pain to, to, to look at his keyboard. He was way into it. So can we try another, let me see something real quick. Just cause since we're recording this one, I'm going to see if that helps. I muted you real quick with it. And I think that might've kept me from sounding like a weird echoey person. So just unmute yourself whenever you want to talk. But that way there's not the in the background when I'm talking. Cause I found myself like trying to like talk under it. Like, oh, but at what place do I, <laughs> do I do it? So anyways, yeah, man, uh, most, so everybody got some HTMX time that wanted to, it seems like. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, but, uh, I mean, I've got a little bit to show off. Oh, you shut your mouth. Even after I drug you into the, the, it's the pits of the pits of Kubernetes with me, you still got a demo. Yeah. Nice. I know. I, I, I set expectations way too high sometimes. That's true. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make you go, you, you should share first. So everybody else can feel bad for not having a demo. No doubt. Hey, I'll, I'll share if you allow it. Oh yeah. No zoom. Zoom to like commissions. Yeah. Where is it? It's great share. All participants do it. And I'm even going to enable wild west oh, share there. Multiple participants can share at once. Oh, being wild. There we go. Everyone show off all at the same time. So yeah, this is a little app that, that I've got that works in, uh, well, before now I worked in Django admin, mostly it's not done. So I've got a management command. I can throw a file path at it and it'll basically ingest a directory and it'll do hashes. And because I can, I did uh SHA 512 hashes. So I'm gonna make real sure I don't got duplicates. But yeah, so then I did, uh, that's going to get weird to try and say, eventually I'll get my brain normalized to HTMX implementation of a search. So like, for instance, I can go zero, zero, three, two, it's on like a half second interval or whatever, as I'm typing, when I let up, it'll send that request to the, to the backend. My templates aren't really well organized. I've really liked how you guys have done in crop gen. I think that is definitely the way to do it. The partials folder, it's really nice. And then I like how you've got to separate out the URLs too. So you've got your standard URLs and then you've got your HTMX. Yeah. <laughs> HTMX URLs too. I really like that. I didn't do any of that for this. This is all just thrown in together here, but some of it, like I said, some of it was kind of familiar because I had done that in the past, more or less with jQuery and then like polling or something to get it to load in a partial on an HTML page. So that really is taking advantage of that HTMX and Django pair really nicely together. So yeah, there I've got my base template as you do. Got my index where everything's happening. That's where I just shoved the HTMX input in there. And then down below that, you can see the partial for the file list. And then here's the partial that HTMX is asking for and shoving into that table. Uh, it's this guy right here. So then that search box, you know, sends a query string to the back end to this particular view that serves this and then shoves it into that, that first template, right? I like it. I'm a pretty big fan. Pretty big fan so far. It, you were saying it definitely reminded you of like previous Django builds. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of nice to get in there and, and go, oh, what's that one? Oh, yeah. yeah template view. <laughs> you know, so uh, template view, that's that's a guy I haven't used in a while. But I am all in on class-based views, have been for a while. Template view is really nice. You can definitely make it do whatever you want. Like for the other stuff, you can make it a bastard form view if you want by messing with the get context data and everything. But bare minimum, it just takes a template name. And then, you know, we'll handle all the other requests and everything like that. That's yeah, that, that was really nice. And I had to dust off some of that stuff. Yeah, like I'd seen, uh, Justin, you'd ran into kind of some of that Willow had mentioned too, like with the includes and stuff like that. I really had to go kind of dust off some of that stuff, how you do that on a project called Little Bird that Willow definitely probably remembers. We were actually doing some stuff with partials in jQuery on that guy and getting, getting real wild with it, where even some of the partials had jQuery in there. And that wasn't necessarily the best way to do that, but I just always think back on that, that that's kind of where we had got up to and then Spaws took over everything once we figured out we wanted to do app development, you know, mobile development and web development all with the same code, basically. Yeah, I was reading somewhere this morning, I follow quite a few folks that are talking all the HTMX knowledge right now on Twitter and someone referenced like, <laughs> so, so it, it's fun to watch like HTMX influencers, like key in on people bemoaning the, the per, like the proliferation of JavaScripts and spas everywhere and be like, oh, let me introduce you to my first HTMX. And uh, this person even mentioned that they had potato chips, which I mean, I'll take Would it. Like fry crack, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty sure that's react server side and then the uh the other little thing that i didn't hear too is a, a css framework i usually reach for tiny tiny projects called skeleton css it's only like a few hundred lines long doesn't do much at all just gives you containers like bootstrap and then kind of styles your tables for you and stuff like that yeah it's definitely Super chill. I haven't used skeleton before. Is it, is it class like class derived as well? Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. I was going to say I'm, I'm using only a tiny bit of it probably in this guy. No, not that one. Yeah, it may not. I may actually just be letting it do its own native styling, you know? So as soon as you do it, it's going to use its own font and stuff like that. You didn't spend a ton of time working on CSS for this? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. No, I even, I started to real, real tiny, like, but, and then that's when I was like, nah, I'm just going to throw a skeleton at it. Cause yeah, I started looking up, oh, they're using tailwind over there on crop gen. And I started looking at that and it was like, nope, that could be a whole other lab day. Yep. Just, yeah. Just I put them on here. I would love, uh, I don't know, Daniel or Willow. I don't know which one of you made the call to go with tailwind. I'm fine with it. In fact, I'd be interested to hear, like, I'd, I'd love to hear thoughts on tailwind because i'm not used it at all so whoever said like let's put tailwind here man it's all the range on the Laravel side of things oh is, the, is that why is yeah so showing? what's weird is so I, I think this html over the wire stuff started with like dhh honestly i because i'm pretty sure the rails guys started this all stuff all this stuff first with hot wire because the Laravel community watches the Rails community like a hawk and like any kind of big trend that goes through the Rails community is like within the year, it's going to hit Laravel. And like, I started hearing talks about Livewire 
And Livewire does the same kind of thing as HTMX. And I just kept hearing about it, hearing about it. They, you know, they got their own conferences and everything like that. And, I, you know, I was steeped in the PHP stuff. So long before I was hearing about HTMX, which was probably under development, it, I, and I think it had a different name back then, I was hearing about Livewire and I didn't, I didn't get the reference immediately that it was kind of a spinoff of Hotwire. But yeah, I think if you think of it, DHH would be the natural person to really hold his middle fingers up against a SPA idea because they're the big giant monolith. But yeah, I mean, the, the approach is very old school throwback. Like, like he used to be back with the wonders of jQuery, but the same thing is happening with Tailwind. Tailwind is like we the way we used to do CSS where it was kind of more inline, except yeah. it's a lot less verbose. Because normally if we were going to inline, you know, everything that was tied to a class, it would end up wrapping over and over and over again on the line wrap. But this is like kind of shortened. So they've got, it's kind of minified syntax or, or verbiage to explain like X or Y being height or width, that kind of thing. And once you kind of get comfortable with the patterns, it, it's really not that complicated. Like it doesn't have a whole lot of preset stuff the way that Bootstrap does. It's preset things like color schemes and sizing and spacing and things like that, but not like whole components that are pre-built for you. So what's the, what's the advantage of you're saying like, so you're doing a lot more inline styling? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to dig deep into the a giant CSS pile of files to figure out what what's making something do something yeah you don't have to worry about overrides because you can you're just like writing css with the classes instead and that was one of the reasons i wanted to use it like we kind of both decided to use it but like after using the beautify stuff and having to over override stuff all the time i was just like i don't want to do that anymore so after yeah. so what what keeps you from uh how are you not losing reusability uh just templates like normal yeah so they've got like a settings file that sits at the base where you you can either take their defaults with all their color schemes and everything or you can kind of override that or build your own theme you can do as much as you want but just out of the box it was written by a, a designer and a developer together and so they I just guess. put their opinion out there you know and the the developer adam wathen who I would recommend if you've never seen him do a talk or anything like that. He's very entertaining. He's like probably the best live coder I think I've ever watched. It's amazing. But his big concern was spacing. He was like, <clears throat> we treat everything in the design world as an object, but like we never really have a good control over the way things need to be distanced from other things. <clears throat> and so his idea was to start treating space as a actual designable element. And so he put a lot of effort into that. And I think that makes a big difference because trying to get something to go down or move, you know, and we used to do that absolute positioning and all that crap and using in this approach, you don't really have to worry about as much of that. It's, it's kind of easier to just tell it what you want it to do. Is everything in columns still columns and rows and. Well, they use Flexbox and all that stuff, but they're, it, you're just closer to the the baseline CSS than you would be with something like bootstrap. Yeah. And they give you, they give you a choice between grid and flex. Like you could do either. <laughs> I was just going to say it definitely, you end up with like a lot longer 
description within your class tag, but not, I don't know. So there's trade-offs, right? Some people aren't going to like that, but I like it. Another thing I did for reusability was I just made really long strings of the classes in the forms file and then just applied those. I saw that. I, I actually really liked that too in there. I was like, man, somebody went, because cause as soon as I saw the forms file, I was like, ooh, how are you doing this in HTMX? And then it was like, ah, brilliant. The right way, really. Like, yeah, just put it all into your own widgets on there like that. I thought that was cool too. Well, what did, uh, Justin, did you end up HTMXing today? Barely. I spent most of my time fighting templates. I don't know if the little tutorial thing I was following was wrong or if I just copied wrong or something, but my base template was jacked and it was like silently killing my other templates, but it was silent. So I didn't know that that was the issue. It just wasn't working and I hadn't worked with templates in a long time. So like all of that together, I was just kind of lost and fighting that, but I eventually got that sorted. And then I was being really stubborn and trying to make templates work like components. And I eventually figured that out. And then I did a little bit of HTMX right at the very end. <laughs> so yeah, so far not a fan. And I never really was a fan of Django templates. So nothing's really changed. The HTMX seems decent though, the little bit that I did do. We definitely got stumped a few times with how to break things up and like where things needed to be within, you know, so you've got a, a base template or whatever. And like, so you need a few things there. You need to definitely pass like CSRF tokens from there and all that stuff. But then like figuring out where in regards to your partial things need to live and like, does it need to be the whole form in the partial, or does the form need to just contain a section of form that's in a partial, all that, th those are the hard decisions that we ended up running up against. Yeah. I'm very, very like the, it's kind of the other part too, in the JS land of trying to figure out what, like how fine grained to get a component, kind of, kind of some of those same decisions. Yep. Is so the last time I worked with templates was like before I did any front end stuff. So I didn't know about react or view or anything. And for that templates were fine, but it was super basic, like all the stuff I was doing at the time. But now that I've had a taste of the spa style, I really like that. So oh, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to shift back to previous mentality. You're pro spa then, like very pro spa. I am. I love it. Nice. I'm just going to say that you mentioning that, like particularly like dealing with the components reminded me. Of, of the actual tweet from this morning that somebody did, it was a house core. They showed like implementing the React component with six files. And it's a button, a button.tsx, a button.types.ts, button.test.ts, button.stories.tsx, button.module.scss, index.tss. All of those files for a button. That might be a little overkill, but <laughs> I don't hate it. I mean, let's just get every file we can in there. It was good. It was good. So it's, that sounds like Ember. <clears throat> yeah. Which sounds like Rails. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. So always, always. Ops, did you Ember much when you were doing Rails? No. I've, I've stayed completely out of the front end. And any front end I did, I don't know, it was typically vanilla JavaScript. 
I was building APIs mostly, or actually Rails was like a, well, I want to say a thin, it's actually pretty fat. It was an interface to a bunch of like malware analysis code and that kind of thing. So I basically APIs for, I, I wrote stuff for other programmers when I wasn't at Acumen and Acumen was obviously vanilla JavaScript because those were the days before JavaScript took hold. Boy, yeah, it was. Thank you. <laughs> were you breaking, breaking it into like smaller pieces? Like, were you guys just using active record at times or different things like that? Or were you like using the whole, the whole schmear? Like when you were just building the APIs? Uh, yeah. I mean, some of it, we would just use grape or, but more often than not, I would just hand roll APIs. I preferred to use Sinatra when I could though, but there were mandates inside the company that like you use rails, don't think about other stuff, use rails. <laughs> so like, all right, but no, I, I, I left all of the main components there. I even started almost all those APIs with rails, G new, you know, like just nice. give me a new project. I don't care. All I need is like, you know, crud. All the heavy lifting is in a bunch of Ruby scripts elsewhere. So I don't really care if there's a bunch of, you know, there were internal tools. I didn't care if there's a bunch of things dangling off of it. Yeah. Oh man. I remember all the boilerplate you would get with a scaffold. Whew. Yeah. A lot of them. And I, but yeah, I haven't done that for, I haven't touched rails for a solid, probably five years. Gosh. Well, Good. I mean, other than like picking up little fixes on side hustles here and there, but that doesn't really count because it's usually ends up being someone's made a typo or a database got too big or yeah, not real work. Speaking of databases got too big, how's that cluster looking? Like shit. <laughs> uh, I still can't. Yeah. So worker one and worker two are still like sawtoothing. So it's going to be a minute. Yeah. It's they're, they're sawtoothing on a downward trend though. So <laughs> I think that's a good time. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, they'll come back. It, we just have to be patient. It's the same thing that happened the last two days. We just got to wait on them to come back. Yep. So for those of us who were hijacked by client, we found out, well, we knocked over the stack again. So we've been dealing with, with Kubernetes self-healing. And turns out when you give Kubernetes too few resources to self heal with, it ain't too good at it. <laughs> Hal's just pointing out the, the nodes we've got are dual nodes and it's just like Kubernetes gets one core and then Django gets the other and then nobody else gets to do anything. It's just like full stop. We're done. It's like a metaphor for life. Oh uh, yeah. But it, it very much felt like that this afternoon, but we've realized that, that, and I think Alan, I think you summarized kind of like the, the, like back pressure that we're, we're running into really well, but actually we thought it was deletion, like, like inefficiency in the deletion process. And it's actually not even the deletion we're about to, Justin, I don't know if you've been reading that thread at all, but this is about to blow your mind. It's the fetch. It's like the, the query to view everything you're deleting to confirm before you delete it. Django's going, oh, let me show you all the stuff you're about to delete with that button, bro. And then it's just hosing everything because the, yeah. the relationships are so like, it's so many, it spiders out into so many relationships that it's just stupid. So like, yeah, I, I asked Joseph, I was like, hey, Joseph, next time you go delete it, can you like post me a picture of that confirmed delete? 
page so that I can see what all is trying to delete. And he's like, oh man, I've never gotten there. I was like, oh, that's why that's what's done it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Django admin is just trying to fetch all those one at a time. So like 9,000 plus records and that's, so that's, what's been happening. Um, so I, I had thought it was something similar, but I thought it was timing out because we've got a signal that we're catching and we're deleting the files that are associated with whatever records. And I thought it was timing out on S3, but I don't think it is. I think it's actually just timing out the database. Yeah. In, <laughs> in S3, I went and looked or RDA. No, yeah, yeah everything is Amazon. I went and looked at the uh, RDS instance <laughs> and it like showed like the connections and it was, it's like three connections and it was like two blue markers and then a big red marker. And then, and then like under the maintenance, yeah, could, there's three RDS instances in that, in that client's, um, uh, space. And it's just like maintenance is like, no, no required. <laughs> and so it's like, we have hosed that little database with the gigantic, show me all the things I'm going to delete query that Django threw at it, which has got to be like the worst sequel. I can only imagine because like Django does a pretty good job of writing sequel for you. Until it doesn't, and then it is terrible. Yeah. So there's a there's a get query set method for the admin classes as well. So that may be a thing we end up trying in the future to try and make that more efficient. I never thought in a million years we were going to have to write a custom delete method to Django, but here we are with this client and what they're needing to do or what they're wanting to do. It is a very real possibility. So that's oddly similar to the place I was working before where they had their own DBAs and they were doing everything via stored procedures and views. And the nice part about the stored procedures is the same kind of situation. Like generally the database looks at the procedure and like makes a, an efficiency map. And usually it's really good, but every now and then the database makes a choice that's like really bad for performance and you can kind of guide it a little bit, but you know, that that's what they would end up having to do, like really script it out or just nuke the plan. Like at some point the alarms and bells start going off and you, you're like, okay, it built a terrible plan. We're going to have to stop it and have it do it again. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah. When a database query goes bad, it it's like, it's awful. It just sucks up everything. It's like a black hole. Is it deleting one thing based that has multiple things based on it? Yeah. So the project, which. Oh, big daddy project. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything's related to the project, except for the user and the user's organization. <laughs> yeah. Just don't delete them then. <laughs> that's a, it's actually a really easy query to write. Just drop database. That's just about drop tables. Yeah. Drop the project table, make a new one. <laughs> yeah. This one's no good. We got to start over. Was it, obviously you, would, you might remember this. Was it Josh Campbell that wrote the, or that did a Ruby talk on stored procedures? I remember going to one of, one of the Fayetteville Ruby meetups where somebody Likely was. Campbell would speak at an event, but. Oh, that's true. That's a great point. I don't know. As somebody at one of the the Ruby meetups started talking about the value of storage procedures and went into, went to that at great length, but yeah, I, I've slept in 
taken shots to the head since then. Several. I don't remember. That's true. That's the joys of the, the jujitsu or I was going to say judo, but no, it's jujitsu for some reason. Yeah. Jujitsu, but there's MMA goobers in there, the fight team. But anyway, that's another story. But no, I, I do recall a lot of people being all stoked on stored procedures, myself included, but that's not a talk I gave. Most of my talks were plumbing. So I don't, I guess that's kind of plumbing, but I didn't talk about that. Could have been row. I, I forget where I was, where somebody started wanting to take us down the stored procedure route. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, no, no. Yeah. No, it, it was it was somebody that we were interviewing. We, I brought somebody in for like a, a pair day interview. And they were just like, oh, you have an inefficiency? Well, then you need stored procedures. I was like, I don't know if we're there yet. The user base on this application is not substantial enough to require those kinds of efficiencies. But when you get excited, you get excited. What's her? You, you get excited. It could be like the software patterns where, you know, you first find out about that and it's like, everything looks like nails for that hammer. <laughs> Indeed. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a thumb. Yep. I definitely gotten into that with patterns. When I got excited about patterns, I wanted, I wanted like factory patterns everywhere and you name it. Where it gets nifted is when people learn what mocks and stubs are and they completely isolate the code from the tests. Yes. So that the tests run regardless if the code is present. <laughs> I feel like maybe you were looking through the code of that previous employee, that previous client that we had. Yeah. Because that was, that was everywhere. Like, mocks and stuff and factories. Factory. Oh man. There was, uh, yeah. So many mocks. Yeah. But yeah, the pattern, they used the pattern bat for everything. It was, everything was pummeled. Well, and that, that's what made me think like, oh, okay, this is actually before like I, we went real deep when we inherited it when we did an audit it was just like oh there's a great use of patterns here yes this will be this will be no problem and it was just like literally the only thing they used was patterns <laughs> like there's no like really quality code it's just like i found a pattern i like and i will use it for literally everything but it, it was very java feeling mm, yes that's a good way to describe it yeah as like a former Java developer jumped into Symphony and did all sort of ungodly things. Yeah. I don't know references to the word beans though. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there needed to be more beans. The The word that kept popping up was toggle. If I saw a toggle again, I was going to lose it. Just can't. Oh, man. Well, and that was, that was the other thing was we, when we found out they were, they had feature flagging, we were just like, oh, well, we can actually probably find a better feature flagging tool for you. Then we can use this like a third party one and you can do it like independently and it's like sweet and then like then we realized the the true state of feature flagging in that guy which was if feature flag in database do the thing else not like it was very and they would be like nested within They're each nested. other and so you'd have like a copy and pasted version for if one of the features was working but the other one wasn't and like so the file ended up three or four times as long as it probably needed to be it was at least they weren't uh url parameters yeah for the feature flags that lived that, in that world before really. what why would you ever do that these shows of stuff i didn't write it i'm not saying you did it i'm just saying <laughs> why anyone ever probably yeah, that's a good idea at the time i don't know or my guess is maybe like 
they were testing it out and that was a quick and easy place to put it and it worked. And then boss man was probably like, yeah, that's good. Let's use that. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> oh, prototype becomes production. That a, a terrifyingly common thing. Dude, that was, that was with one line from that video that hit really hard. Is that, was it, this code isn't our production code until tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt that. There was a lot in that video. When I built the uploader prototype, I was like heavy handed and like, don't use this. <laughs> it is your template. <laughs> use something like this, but not this. So just make enough changes that you, you feel comfortable and then go. Well, thankfully, Alan just rewrote the whole thing to go. So. You write in Python originally? Uh-huh. Because prototype. There you I go. And that's what Python's for, right? It is. I mean, it is just the prototype language, scripting language. It's just a glue language. You know. Yeah. It's just an educational language. <laughs> Do you have to snip the glue before you're educated? <laughs> it expedites the educational process. That's oh, sure. Opens the mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bathtub. You got to dump some water out before you can put more in, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we had a bath salts reference coming. I was like, oh, man. Are people still That's doing bad songs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got bit by a dude. He was a Golang developer. <laughs> do people still do bath salts? I've not heard that in a while. I mean, probably. I don't, I don't know. They may have all died off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought bath salts was just like people shipping meth. And they couldn't spread the word about bath salts anymore. It's like a, it's like a religious group that never has any kids. They just, so they just fly out. So they just sit in the basement together, trying to lick their eyelids and just gave up on their air fries. <laughs> That's the bed. That's what's in those bath bombs that are everywhere. You're basically like a drug mule. I also found the, um, uh, the senior Java developer in 2022, uh, to go along with that JS one. Oh, sure. I, saw, I saw it. I haven't watched it yet, though. Oh, that's bound to be good. I don't hate Java because it gave us the JVM. And before cross-compilation was more standard in other languages, the JVM gave us multi-platform success. So I dig that for sure. The only problem with the JVM is boot time. So, like, if you've got it in a Lambda or something... You don't always get a hot JVM. Sometimes it has to boot and that can cause all kinds of weird latency. I forgot you could throw a JVM on a Lambda. Yeah, you can use Java or languages that are on the JVM, but that's, that's the like huge caveat because JVM cold boot time is, is a minimum of probably 30 seconds. And yeah, really it's slow. So, that's, I mean, so that's when you just put ping them on it to ping it every minute to keep the JVM on. But, <laughs> also kills the concept of a lambda because then you'll be on the same lambda right yeah it's true but i guarantee you that's a thing that someone has done i will wager a picture that someone's gone i need to keep this endpoint up just ping it probably definitely done it with their Heroku instance right Back oh home. for sure <laughs> for sure i think i may have advocated for that at least once with Heroku somewhere not uh, gonna lie. i'm not gonna self-incriminate 
but we wouldn't have like closure in Scala, Scala, however you say that, if it weren't for the JPM. So, well, we would have things that probably look like them, but you wouldn't be able to do that heavy computation cross-platform as easily. So I don't hate Java just because of the JPM. I too have that hot take that actually I, I like Java. I mean, I don't like it enough to use it, but like I, I mentioned on the podcast before that it's like, in my mind, it's kind of like the grandpa of the, of the internet languages and things that sometimes I get curious and like, how do them Java developers do that? Um, and then on, on vacations before I've been on the beach writing a spring API just to see what that's like, and then come back and go, oh yes, Django is still much easier, but you know, everyone associates it with enterprise, but that's where, you know, open, open JDK, I think is really cool on that front and everything. And IST. So for me, it's the, uh, Rapper? with the no, ASP, the Java platform, ASP.net and all those, uh, the .NET, you know, sweet, like some of the languages out of that, I really like. like, I enjoyed C sharp. I just don't like .NET, but with Java, it's the opposite. Like I like the mileage that we get out of the virtual machine, but I, I just don't like Java as a language. Like it was not fun for me to write. It was painful. I only had to write it in college. So for one semester. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I did have one job where I had to dip into it again, but it, I was like, much like .NET, I was like, I don't want to do this for a living because it's just not as fun. It sucked the fun out of it. Now I'm going to just have beans everywhere. So you don't have to write as much Java, but it's got magic like all over the place. Last time I dove into the Spring Boot framework, that's kind of the way that was. Like, I actually wasn't writing that much code to stand up endpoints because of beans, wherever the heck those things are. I just knew them well enough to use them, but it's like, put decorator here. Cool. API endpoint. And it takes gets. Awesome. There it is, you know. And then I liked that because it's a statically typed language. How do you serialize stuff? Oh, easy with Java classes. <laughs> it, and it's going to validate it right out the box. You know, is that some of the magic that Kotlin's using beans, the magic beans you speak of? I'm pretty Probably. sure beans are just classes without arguments in the constructor. I think I love, I love, <laughs> I love it. I feel like this is a meme somewhere. <laughs> None of us write to all about Like, what, what is a bean? <laughs> I think it, I think it's a class that does not have any arguments in its constructor. I think, ah, 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 here we go. A Java bean is a Java class that should follow the following conventions. It should have a no arg constructor. Oh, well, I was only partially right. It should be serializable. That's a word. It should provide methods to set and get the values of the properties known as, well, yeah, getter and setter. So, so yeah, it's a class wherein you instantiate said object without any arguments. And then when you need to, you just use the getters and setters. Otherwise you just got this dingus floating around in your code until it's ready to be used. I don't know. Almost like the, yeah. So almost kind of like the, like the view sets and things in Django. Yeah. And on that today, WebFV views docs are terrible. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was tell us about your, your, your phone and uh, I've been testing on Oh, why did that happen? Yeah, I tried to mute myself and instead muted you because I'm a jerk. Sorry. I did a lot of the same stuff that I had done with it before, but then they like tell you if you're using web appio with reflect, use this script. And then the script is like not even the most efficient way to do it. Like if you go and look at the docs for the, the other 
integrations, like the Circle CI integration. It's just pinging the API endpoint, the, the like suites executions endpoint. And it's like way shorter. And so I added like three tests. And at first it didn't work, I guess, because it didn't like it, it didn't like the URL. So I had to add CSFR C S R F trusted origins with that. I I added like a custom domain for everything that comes from that repo. And then yeah, that that let me log in at least because I couldn't log in. And then yeah, I made a test to log in, I made a test to create a form, made a test to create fields, and made a test to add soils which is where i ran it it didn't run into anything really but it was like kind of wonky like i kept pressing the add soils button it was like delayed which was not fun they didn't make out of those sideways there that's what, what? they just had a sleep method just let it rest <laughs> would it come up eventually yeah i mean it was just like it, it came up, but it wasn't like as snappy as if you were loading it yourself. Like it was just kind of awkward because it, it almost seemed like the button didn't work for a second and then it did. And so that was happening on the reflect side. Like you're running into those issues with reflect. Yeah. Cool. When I was recording the test. Well, I'll take a look at that. I want to see kind of where we can make some improvements for sure. Because having that kind of testing in place will be nice. I mean, yeah, I like overall, I think it will work for this stuff. Like it, it worked that for it. I didn't really have any problems with it. The one thing I don't like that's confusing is like, if you check the div and this won't even happen if it runs on on its own anyway, because it'll just recreate everything. But I was like looking for a div and like a farm div. And then I had already added another farm so I couldn't find it because it moved over. <laughs> so yeah. But if it's just going to run automatically after it builds, then that's not going to happen because it's just going to be clean. Yeah, that checks out. So it won't test everything, but it'll definitely get get us the basics we need real quickly, which will be nice. Well, yeah, the only thing now we need to add is like, is you can add like Slack integrations. And then I also wanted to look at the PR template thing. I didn't, don't, didn't really get to that, I guess. Now that I think about it, I looked at it a little bit. It's just like basically a link to the one that you just built. But the hops built? No, a, a link to the the web appio build that you just did. Yeah, that'd be great to have in the PR. Yeah, so then you can tell if it did. You can just see right in the PR, like, did it build the link to it? All that. And then also like a... You can send like a, an email or a Slack message if the reflect tests are successful. So then that would like cut down on some of the testing for POs, I guess. Yeah, that's ultimately where we want to be able to use it. Well, cool. You mentioned Slack. I've realized I've been waiting. Like this is one of those things that's just as stupid as can be. But I've been waiting to be around people uh working together because I, I i was inspired by hobbs who changed his slack notification message so it didn't just sound like everybody else's and i changed mine and i found that you can change it and i i caught the edge on this so no one else gets to do it <laughs> i changed my slack notification to just someone saying the word hummus so at the time someone dms me i had to hear hummus <laughs> it's like 
it, it brings me so much joy. That word's going to lose all meaning. It, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get, you're going to be like a Pavlov dog. If somebody's like, hey, you want some hummus? And you're going to be like, oh God, nope. there it is. No, I don't. So hummus will always like remind me of just like the server is down. Like every, every time I taste chickpeas, it'll just <laughs> inflict like I'm troubleshooting something in, in, in Rancho right now. So it'll be good stuff. Awesome. Well, anybody got anything else they want to share from the day? If not, we can let the good times roll. Everybody can enjoy their weekend. You know, maybe next week we'll have, we'll have those workers back up. Yeah. They just yeah. saw to it back up into the nineties. So it's going to mm. be, I assure you they're fine. They're just like, they're busy <laughs> really hard right now. <laughs> they're just really busy right now. They're in the midst of an identity crisis. Yes. Yeah. It eventually. It's like the great craziness of the whole situation where it's just like computers are, are great at making decisions on our behalf within the right context. And then immediately after you remove the right context, it turns into exists because the cluster is completely available. Like you can go view stuff and do stuff, but the orchestration pieces are, have lost their ever loving mind and are in the middle of having a spat with each other, like toddlers or, or two siblings over a, a video game. It's good times on that note. Everybody have a good weekend. We'll see you all on Tuesday. I don't know if you saw. With what? Why? President. President's Day. Are you serious? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said when I got that email. Uncle Joe gave you the day off. Yeah. Did you? Uh, <laughs> did you see the the email from Megan? She said she was going to be out, but I thought I didn't think that meant everybody. No, she said. I think she said a separate one saying everybody, like everybody, enjoy your day off. Maybe that was an email. I haven't checked my email in a while. Yeah, it was an email. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy the long weekend. We'll see us. It's the last minute Friday surprise for me. <laughs> nice. That's kind of last minute Friday surprise for sure. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Bye. Listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind the scenes peaks. Past episodes and show notes for this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. For inquiries into guest appearances, sponsorships, or the current length of Alan's beard, you can email us at podcast at hirelofty.com. <laughs>